Good morning. It is good to be back with you today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and give you this uh, statement up front. If my words are a little slurred this morning, I'm going to quote the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. I am not drunk. It is only 9 in the morning. All right? The, the real reason is my internal clock is still on a different time zone. And so it, it really is weird when you are tired, when you're not supposed to be, and then when you're supposed to sleep, you can't sleep. Um, but I'm in good company because Nick, my son, and I are having really great conversations at 3 in the morning. It's working out really good, really good. But it is good to be back. Um, I missed being with you last week. However, I have to admit that as I gathered with the church last Sunday, I have never felt closer to heaven. Because this is the building that we met in. Yeah. It is the tallest building in Taiwan. It's a top 10 tallest building in the world. It is 101 stories. In Taiwan, it's simply called the 101. 101 stories. And this is the view from church last Sunday. It's on the 52nd floor of the 101. And so it is unique, not only because you're 52 stories in the air, but it was really unique because the only way that you can attend that church is by invitation. What I mean is, because it's the 101, because it's such a building due to, you know, threats and they just, they're really careful about not letting people just wander through every part of, of those type of buildings, you actually have to get on a list days before in order for you to be able to come on a Sunday morning and they give you the pass, they verify your names on the list, and then they'll let you attend church on the 52nd floor. I really didn't realize how kind of big a deal it was until later in the week, some of the other people that I, I ran into in Taipei, the questions they asked me were, how did you get in there? And who do you know? And so I really didn't realize. So here's what became my concern. My concern is over just this appearance of exclusivity. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just this perception that it's really difficult to attend this church, that's really weird for me. But the more I got to thinking about it, the positive aspect is, if that church grows, the only way they're actually going to grow is the way that growth is supposed to happen, where people engage with people and invite them. And I thought that was pretty cool. It's like no matter how good their programs get, Nobody can just wander in off the street. So you can't just put together events and hope that people show up. It's going to have to be the church actually doing what the church is supposed to do, inviting people. But it was unique. It was unique. While I'm at it, I thought I'd go ahead and show you a picture from the top of the building. Taiwan is an island of 23 and a half million people. 18 plus million people live in the cities and almost 8 million live in Taipei. And as I'm standing there in that window looking over some estimated 8 million people, 
The question that hit my heart was, how in the world can, I mean, in comparison, a small group of people like Heart of Life, how could we ever make a difference in something that big? I am returning to you a week later, assuring you that you really are making a difference even in such a sizable place. A part of that difference really is driven because of like the people who stood before you last week. I hear that Sharice knocked it out of the park. Sharice was here, Larry was at Lee Summit. They are some of those missionaries who are spending months and months over in Taiwan teaching English classes in the public schools. And they are just killing it. And it's making a difference for our connection there. We already have high school students committed for 2018 that once they graduate, they're ready to go. And I really knew that Sharice must have knocked it out of the park here because we actually had a 12-year-old this week declare to his mom, Mom, when I graduate, my plan is I'm going to work for one year and then I'm going to Taiwan as a missionary and I'm going to take college online. He's 12. We like to sign him early around here. That's good stuff. That's the heart that we want to see, right? Contagious in our kids. It's not just what Larry and Sharice and Liz are doing in Taiwan. They're all going to be headed back there within the next couple of weeks. But in October and in March now, there's just an ongoing opportunity that for small groups of students, they can go and they can visit just a line of public schools throughout the, the country, being able to, 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 to teach English and to present drama. It's just a crazy opportunity. In the summer next year, we're lining up about five weeks back to back to back to back to back to back around July this week, I already had three different churches commit that they want us to do Bible schools in their, in their churches. And I'm saying these are churches with, there's more than 100 kids who will show up at those Bible schools. It's the kind of thing that you and your family could already start to, to plan toward next year. I, I'm not even touching today on what the drama teams are doing across the country and then I find out, you remember how a, couple, a month or so ago when the 40 students from Taiwan came here? Remember? I'll go ahead and let you in on this. Next year, they want to bring 100. They want to bring 100. And all the parents are like, yeah, we want our kids to go. And so the plan is probably we're going to stagger them because we can't handle 100 kids, Right? And so half of them will come for, say, three or four days, and they'll stay in our homes, and then the other group will show up, and when the whole hundred of them are here, we're going to do a camp somewhere else where we can just pour into their lives, and then the first group will go home, and then the last group, they'll stick around and be in our host homes for three or four days. I'm saying, what a crazy opportunity to be on mission where people are coming to you because they trust what you're pouring into the lives of their kids. Churches in Taiwan last week actually sent me back to you with money. They actually took up offerings and sent money back to help us keep sending people to Taiwan 
to help them carry out the mission. I'm saying they are grateful for what you are doing and they are thanking God for you. That's pretty cool. It's the mission for the church across the world. And it's what we've been studying for three months in the book of Acts. And I just really felt like that before we close this thing out, I wanted to take just one more day to, part of me wants to say, kind of cap this thing off, but really what I want to do is take the cap off. And just spend the day kind of wrapping up, do we realize what we've just seen as we've marched through this book? The book, you realize in real life, it's 35 years. We did it in three months. But do we get the big picture of what we've just seen? The repeated storyline in Acts begins like this. The Holy Spirit empowers the mission. That's the anchor for us. We learned the mission statement the very first week, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit empowers this mission. Not us. He does. The Holy Spirit gives us power to understand God's word. Do you know that? Do you know that we could show up here this morning and read the Bible all we want to, but without the Spirit of God, we really don't understand spiritual things. He's the one who holds the power to give us that. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us power to hear the voice of God, to sense his direction in our life, to understand what he wants to bring about. The Holy Spirit is the power that is the source of wisdom. The Holy Spirit is the power that, that we are able to speak the good news of Jesus with boldness. Not with timidity and fear, but with, but with courage and with boldness. It's the Holy Spirit who is the power to actually change anything of significant eternal value. It's the Holy Spirit who holds the power to do a miracle in our life where dead people spiritually are brought to life. I just pray that we never lose sight of the anchor for this whole deal. It's the Spirit of God who empowers the mission to which we have been called. When we understand that, then the repeated storyline in Acts is as follows, the Holy Spirit empowers the mission and then Jesus' followers share the gospel with everyone. That's what we're called to do. We share the good news of Jesus with everyone. I could pick out a dozen different instances to tell you about, but I'm just gonna pick one. It's what happened when the good news of Jesus was shared at the church at Thessalonica. And I want you to listen to this verse, Acts chapter 17, Verse 4, listen to what it says. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. I love the way Paul wraps all that up. I love the way Luke wraps all that up. He's like, who believed? Jews, 
Gentiles, men, women. Why? Because the gospel was shared with all of them. This good news, it is for everyone. It is for anyone. All are a candidate to receive what is being given. Whatever city they were in, they preached it to everyone. Whatever synagogue they were in, they preached it. Whatever marketplace they were in, they preached it. Whatever prison they were in, they preached it. This is what Jesus' followers do. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives is a boldness to share this news. Now come on, I'm asking that God doesn't let us tear through this book and we don't walk away with a serious questioning of our own lives if I'm not sharing the good news of Jesus What does that mean about his presence in my life? It's like, come on, God, shake us up with this reality. If we're not sharing, then is there presence? Because the greatest evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives is a boldness to proclaim this good news. It's what Jesus' followers do. And oh my, I'm praying that out of what we have learned together in this three months, that he would stir a greater intentionality in us, that we would share, that we would see the world with mission eyes. So I'm on a plane, coming back from San Francisco to Kansas City, and I'm already tired. The flight out of Taipei was delayed nine hours. And then the flight's like 12 or something like that. And then you get to a different airport and you get your bags and you change all the stuff and you're trying to get a, a, new, a new, you know, flight because the thing was delayed and everything's got to. So I get on this plane headed to Kansas City, one, wanting to sleep, two, really needing to work on the sermon for Sunday because Sunday's coming. I'm sitting in my um, seat, minding my own business, right next to the window. And as much as I understand how the Spirit of God speaks, and this is how I would describe if I said that God speaks to me, this is what he said. So are you going to talk to him? And I knew who he was talking to. He was talking to me, and I knew what he was talking about. He was talking about the dude sitting right beside me. So are you going to talk to him? Like, I don't want to talk to him. I'm tired, and I need to work on a sermon about telling people about Jesus. (laughs) I waited a while. And then I engaged, and we began to have a conversation, and it took a while for it to unfold. And after a period of time, then I discovered he was actually already a believer. Like, shoot. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Isn't that the way we are? It's like when you finally engage, like, oh, man. No, it was great. He, he was already a believer, and... and um, God is funny 
in that the conversation then turned to the mission that God had called us to, and he's telling me about his church, and I promise you, this is how it unfolded. He looks at me and he goes, yeah, in our church we have these like life group things. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, our pastor recently challenged our life groups to divide and invite new people in. Now, the unique ability at sarcasm that I have wanted to say, seems like an overbearing pastor to me. But thank goodness for the Spirit of God, I just said, really? He said, yeah. He said, and honestly, our group really didn't want to. He said, we didn't want to because our group is really close. And then he paused and he looked me square in the eye and he changed his phrasing and he said, actually, we were really comfortable. And then he said, but we did it. And he said, it was one of the best things that I've ever been a part of in my life, seeing new people come to know who Jesus is and experience what the church is supposed to be. He said, that's what we're supposed to be. I encouraged him for doing what I knew scripture calls us to do and be. But I walked away from that moment, just that word comfort in my head and how I've seen so many times comfort hold back churches. I've seen it hold back life teams. I've seen it hold back children when, when parents struggled to be able to let them go on mission, for example. Now, don't get me wrong. Please hear me. I know on mission, bad stuff can happen. It can. To not believe that bad stuff can happen when you're on mission with God is to absolutely ignore what we have read in Acts for the last three months. Because we've seen time and time again, almost every week, where people were doing exactly what God called them to do, and there was still struggle. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the scripture is clear. Jesus, what's most important? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, and then you love people. But the priority is clear. Our love for one another, we could call it closeness, we could call it comfort, but our love for one another is never supposed to become an excuse for not engaging the mission. Forever and ever and ever, there is a quote that is seared in my mind. It happened one day when we were sitting down with one of the churches along this journey that we've been on, a church that wanted to talk to us about maybe becoming a campus. It didn't happen, okay? We had several conversations along the way with, with churches where it, it didn't happen. It didn't work out. But I will forever remember that guy sitting at that table with this group of people who were still there, 
And he said, referring to their connection, their comfort, their closeness, this is what he said. We love each other too much to actually do what God says. And I actually think I moved over a little bit because all I could, all I could see was lightning about to drop. That's what he said. He said, we love each other too much. I said, what? He goes, the truth is we all like each other too much. We're really comfortable. We'll never actually do what Jesus wants us to do. I'm like, wow. God, please don't ever let that become our story. God, please don't ever let that become our story. The repeated storyline in Acts is the Holy Spirit empowers the mission. Jesus' followers share the gospel with everyone. And then the thing we have seen over and over every week is hardship is guaranteed. Hardship is guaranteed. After arriving in Rome, we're told that Paul meets the believers who are already there. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are already there. And then after a few days, he gathers the Jewish leaders that are there. Now, Paul always, when he would go into a place, he would tend to start with the Jews. He would preach the good news. Usually they would reject it, but that, that's where he started. And this is what it says in chapter 28, verse 22. We read it two weeks ago, but I chose not to land there because I knew we were kind of coming back to this this week. Listen to this phrase. They said to Paul, but we want to hear what your views are for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Now, you know what the sect is? They're referring to Christianity. And they're basically saying, Paul, we really haven't heard anything bad about you, but we want to really hear what you've got to say because there's all kinds of talk all over the world against Christianity. Now, to me, that's, that is so significant. Can the gospel spread where Christianity is spoken against? Apparently. Yeah. Because that's the picture all throughout the book of Acts. Jesus told the disciples, he said, you're going to be hated in some places because of my name. He told them on another occasion, you better be careful when everybody speaks well of you. That's, that's an interesting piece of advice. There were seasons of calm, but the early church was embattled. And they dealt with slander against them. I mean, there were things. You, you realize that when Paul got to Jerusalem the final time, he was actually accused of some things that weren't even true. They just made it up. There was slander, there was misunderstandings, there was accusation, there was persecution. They were spoken against everywhere, but the Lord added to their number daily. He added to their number daily. There's this unique way that Paul says it in the book of 2 Timothy that reads like this. Paul says, I am suffering 
even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the next phrase he says, but God's word is not chained. I love that. He goes, man, this stuff is hard. He goes, this is, this is how I'm being treated. I, I, to the point that I'm in chains like I'm a criminal. But what does he celebrate? He celebrates that the word of God can never be chained. And so he knows that even in these instances where he's being spoken against, in these instances where Christianity's being slammed, he knows that the good news of Jesus is just rolling forward. And God kept adding to their number daily. It may be, it may be that when God and truth are loved enough that we are willing to take a stand even when it means persecution, it may be that the spirit moves more powerfully than even in times of peace. This is where we are called to operate. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy by the name of Bob Goff, but he's worth checking out. Um, he is a longtime attorney, pretty well-known attorney in, in D.C. He is an author of the New York Times best-selling book, Love Does, which is also an organization that he, that he runs. And the U.S. Department of State recognizes him as a diplomat. I mean, he's an interesting guy. Love Does is an organization that exists to find daring, productive, and effective ways to fight the injustices committed against children. And so this organization that he, that he runs, it, it promotes human rights and, and education in conflict zones. Let me name a few. Uganda. Iraq, Nepal, Somalia, and India. Let's just say this dude is on the front line. I heard him tell a story that I just want to read to you today. Because he tells it way better. But I'm just going to read it to you. So it's a little choppy because it's actually his words and how he says it. But I want you to hear what he says. He says, four days ago, I was in Somalia. We went to Mogadishu, and he said, I'm like rounding up when I say I knew a, a total of zero people in Mogadishu. There is no government, there is no police, there's nothing, just a big civil war with 10 million mad people and everybody's got a gun. He said, you get to the airport and you hire guys with machine guns to protect you while you're there. Now, there's a trip. He said, there's six of them in this truck in front of you, and you're the guy in the van with the tinted windows behind them. Now, he jokingly says, now, who does everybody aim for? He says, I want to be the guy in the Prius behind the van with the tinted windows, right? He said, so we're driving these roads, and he said, it feels like a level of call of duty. When somebody cuts in between him in the van and the guys with the machine guns. That's how people go missing, right? So the guys with the machine guns start shooting. 
And this is his response. He says, I was like, yikes. Yikes. He said, it's the only word I could come up with. The guy that was driving turned to him and said, this is really bad. He said, there's two things you don't want to hear in Somalia. This is really bad, or I'm the captain now, right? You don't want to hear those. And this is then what he said. Listen, he said, but you know what, guys? Isn't that where we want to live when we follow Jesus? Right on the edge of yikes. He said, because guys like me, Jesus talks about me in Scripture. He talks about guys like me and maybe some of you that are comfortable. He said, that's the deal. He said, I have a beautiful wife and a pickup truck and a house, and I'm living right in the middle of comfortable. And Jesus says, Bob, live right on the edge of yikes. Because you know what? then you actually need me. And he says, guys and gals that aren't comfortable, they actually need the Holy Spirit, the comforter. That's what he does. But our job is to be on the edge of yikes. And he said, you know what? If you're not living on the edge of yikes, Find somebody who is and climb out on the edge with them. Hearing that story, there's a part of me that is afraid that sometimes the church, I put it this way, sometimes the church looks more like a fidget spinner than a force on the edge of yikes. Where sometimes church is just something we fiddle with. It's something we dabble with. Rather than the force and the passion, the conviction that directs our lives. You know what I've noticed? When I'm on a mission trip somewhere, honestly, I tend to live more on the edge of yikes. I do. And it's because there, I have to acknowledge how much I depend on him. When you get in situations where you don't speak the same language, oh my goodness, there's all kind of crazy stuff that can happen. And you're just constantly going, God, give, give me wisdom, God, give me understanding. When, when you're in places where you don't know where you are and you don't know how to get to the next, you are just so depending on, on him for help and direction and guidance and comfort. It wasn't a machine gun, but I have stood in the yard of a ministry in Mobile, Alabama with some of our students and heard the gunfire. The same gunfire that claims dozens of children's lives in that neighborhood 
every year. It's why we were there to proclaim the good news of Jesus. But can I tell you that when you're trying to shove kids into a building, when you're hearing gunfire, it sort of feels like the edge of yikes. I'll never forget the first time I drove into Long Beach, Mississippi, two days after Hurricane Katrina hit. And I have never, ever seen that kind of destruction anywhere in my whole life. And as soon as I tried to drive through town, it's like I, I know we, we have to be here and, and we did, we responded for more than a month and teams of people poured down into Long Beach and literally with chainsaws, we were cutting people out of their homes. Their, they couldn't even get out because every tree was down. It was chaos. It felt kind of like the edge of yikes. I remember being in a van in Taiwan. Some of you were actually in one of those two vans with me. And I still to this day cannot explain it. I have no idea how a collision didn't happen that day. It was almost as if the truck went through. And that's all I know to tell you. And to this day, I just say, I do not know how to explain it. I just know I laid my head on the pillow that night and went, yikes. There was a village in Togo that needed rain. And Kevin Jennings had the audacity to preach a message to them about Elijah and the whole send rain thing after the drought and this village this village turned to us and said we have been praying and praying and praying to our gods for rain and it has not rained they said for the next and I think it was like three days we are going to ask your God for rain and if he were to send it, then we will know that he is real. And we will turn. And we will follow. To say that we prayed is an understatement. And I will never, ever, ever forget the sound of rain hitting that tin roof the very last night. It felt like being on the edge of yikes. Walking down a pitch black alleyway. You had to walk close enough that you could hear the person in front of you because you couldn't see the person in front of you. But it's the route we had to take in order to stay undetected, in order to meet with the underground church. It felt like walking the edge of yikes. And then there was a hospital room. A hospital room in a part of the world where religion is illegal. 
We were there that night to visit AIDS victims who came to that wing of the hospital to die. We went there to bring them fruit and bread that they would at least have something to eat. As we were going from room to room, my translator, who was not a believer, said to me, you should pray for them. Like, good idea, non-believer. And so as we would start to deliver the oranges and the bread, I, I would pray for them. But then it took a whole different direction when I walked into a room. And there was a lady with AIDS dying. And on her bed beside her leg was a Bible. Now, they're illegal in this particular country. And I just decided to say, where did you get that? She said, somebody gave it to me. And I've been reading it. And I've just been waiting for somebody to show up and tell me how to know Jesus. on the edge of yikes. Guys, that's where I need him most. It's where I tend to trust him the most. It's where I see him the most. It's where I want to live, even where I actually live most days. Not, Not in another part of the world, but in the part of the world where I live. He's worth the risk. He's worth stepping outside the comfort zone for. Why why would we do that? Because the repeated storyline in Acts is the Holy Spirit empowers the mission. Jesus' followers share the gospel with everyone. Hardship is guaranteed, and some will believe. Some will believe. It's worth stepping outside the comfort zone. It's worth living on the edge of yikes because some, they will believe. There was this this line last week, or two weeks ago, Acts chapter 28, verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said. That was Paul sharing the gospel. But others would not believe. Can I ask you, why is it that the church in America has a way of always focusing our fear on who's not going to believe rather than celebrating the truth that the Bible seems to reflect that there are always going to be some who will believe? There will always be some who believe. And sometimes it's the people that you think are never going to be interested, that they don't care. They do. It is the Holy Spirit who is at work. Some will believe. It's like, why can't I live on the edge of yikes every day? That's where I want to be. And the answer is we can when we begin to see the world as it actually is, not through the lenses of comfort. I want to wrap up with this image How many of you have seen um, the movie Hacksaw Ridge? How many of you have seen it? Okay. It's been out for a while, so you should have seen it by now, so I'm going to ruin it. All right? It is a true story of 
a soldier by the name of Desmond Doss. He won the Congressional Medal of Honor despite refusing to bear arms during World War II based on his religious conviction. So his desire was to serve, but he didn't want to carry a weapon. He was ostracized for his stance, but went on to earn respect and adoration for his bravery, his selflessness, his compassion, when he risked his life as a medic and without firing a shot, he saved the lives of 75 men in the Battle of Okinawa atop the area known as Hacksaw Ridge. There is a section of the movie that captures his heart. And it's the section that I want to show you. Now, I'm warning you, it's war. And so, it is a bit graphic. Um, If you have little eyes with you today, this might be a good time to shelter those eyes, at least for part of it. Um, But don't shelter yours. Watch this. Lord, help me get one more. Let God let that become the battle cry for Heart Alive Church. Lord, help us get one more. One more rescued. One more that we hear say, I was blind. But now I see. If we could just see the battle as it really is. When you leave this place today, you are are walking into territory where an enemy seeks to kill. And under the cover of what looks like comfort, there are people, there are wounded, there are people who are blind to the truth of a God who loves them. Lord, help us get one more. The fight is so worth it. Some of you may feel like you're in that fight today. And you feel like you're trying to walk it out. And man, you are getting so much pushback, it makes you question if you're doing the right thing. And oh my, if you should have any comfort, it ought to be from walking through the book of Acts for three months where we watch people do exactly what God calls them to do and there is pushback. Why? Because when you start messing with the darkness, when you start reaching into the places that people are wounded, there is an enemy who does not go quietly. And I'm telling you, it it will be fierce. It will be a fight. But it is so worth the fight. Because one day, church, I'm reminding you, the fight will be over. One day the fight will be over and one day we will gather as a church in a place so unique that it's going to make the 101 in Taipei look silly. The view's going to be stunning and the doors are not going to be locked because there is no more threat, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. And when we get there and the question gets asked, how did you get in? 
who do you know? Then together we are going to shout one name for the rest of eternity. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. He is Jesus. And it is worth the fight. Lord, give us one more. God, I ask. I ask that you would give us sight today. God, some who are feeling the pressure. God, some who are trying to follow, trying to walk out what you've called them to do and be, and they're feeling the pushback. And God, it, it really does. It, it makes us all at times just question, are, are we hearing right? Are we doing what, what? And I'm asking today that your spirit who comforts would be the one who wraps up hearts in this place today and that we would know it's okay, it's okay to walk on the edge of yikes. In fact, it's the best place for us to be. It's where we depend on you the most. It's where we recognize our need for you the most. God, today, would you change our perspective? Would you bring encouragement for those who are struggling today? But God, would you light a fire in those who are asleep today? God, would you awaken us to the reality of what's really going on? God, would you give us a passion as a church that our prayer becomes, God, give us one more. God, give us one more. And then we will step where you tell us to step, God, outside of comfort zones. God, we can love one another and yet still not sacrifice the mission that you've called us to. God, by your spirit, would you empower your church, make us bold, give us courage. God, give us one. God, I pray for those who are here today and they do not know you. God, I'm asking that eyes could be open. I'm asking that you would do something, God, miraculous in, in that heart to believe, to have the faith to believe, to trust, to turn to you, God, to know forgiveness, to know what it means to be loved and embraced. God, today, would you do what only you can do in this place? Would you rescue? Would you comfort? Would you heal? Thank you for being our God. And thank you for calling us to a mission.